Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hi, it's Ben here. Welcome back to A Better HR Business. I'm joined today by a fascinating HR tech expert, Nov Omana. Nov is the go-to guy for companies looking at implementing new HR technology. He also helps HR tech companies that want to launch products in the HR space or accelerate growth through better positioning of their product. In his spare time, Nov is on the board of directors for the International Association for Human Resource Information Management, and he advises various HR tech companies. Nov knows HR tech inside out. Not only that, He's got one of the best laughs in the industry. So, Nov, thanks very much for joining me today. Well, thank you very much, Ben, for the invitation. I'm very, very pleased. I'm really looking forward to this. Do you want to start by giving us your background? How did you get into the HR world? (laughs) Well, it's an interesting story. I won't take too long, but I have a bachelor's in marine zoology. Oh, somebody, (laughs) Somebody in the human resources world was looking for a programmer. I'd had a bit of a programming background when I got to the, to the Marine Zoology and Statistical uh, Analysis. And they said, gee, this guy counts animals. Maybe we can have him come in and count humans. So that's how <laughs> I got I got into HR and, and I have yet to find the exit to get out. But it's been way too much fun for the, the, the 40 plus years I've been in here. I love it. Well, HR's gain is the animal world's loss, but you know, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So can you tell us about Collective HR Solutions? What do you actually do? Well, on any given day, my primary business is helping with uh, clients looking at their requirements. And I I really want to say business requirements first, HR requirements second, because HR is there supporting the business through the workforce. But in looking at their requirements and speaking to the very key stakeholders in the organization, I will help them develop their requirements and then we actually go out and look for software solutions that meet those requirements. So I guess you would say that I do system evaluations and, if you will, close the evaluation with a selection and then usually help with the uh, contract negotiations. And quite often I'm asked, because we've been intimately involved with the, the whole requirements generation and selection, to help to implement the product that they've selected. Sure. What's typically the trigger point that a company contacts you? Well, I, I would kiddingly say desperation, but <laughs> it's usually much, much sooner and, and hopefully, you know, reputation precedes it. Uh, it's a very much a referral business. I've done a lot of these evaluations for clients. So people say, you probably ought to talk to Nov about, you know, whatever it is. And some people actually just come together um, you know, through, let's say, a presentation I do or whatever the case may be. They said, I'd like to know more about what you can help us with in terms of understanding and assessing technology. In all honesty, the the tipping point for most people to come and use my services for any reason or any consultant in the in the business I'm in is really around we have a, a stable or, or a platform that's paying people and we have HR and we have compliance and so on. We want to up the, up the game. We want to have newer technology, sometimes on a mobile platform, uh, certainly maybe improving recruiting or improving engagement 
or reporting or things of that nature. So the basics of what we know today in the HR benefits and payroll of a business is pretty, it's like a commodity, but it's all the new stuff that's surrounding it around and moving talent, if you will, either creating a talent pipeline or creating a talent pool that can be used and, and if you will, effectively used in the company is really what causes people to come and say, okay, what's new out there? And how does this fit for me? Both requirement, culture, and technical architecture. So that's really, that's kind of the tipping point. They see and they hear about new things. They know they need to do it. Yeah, sure. I'm seeing a cartoon version in my mind of that. What is it? Storming, norming, forming. I'm imagining you go through the full cycle of human emotion when you're trying to select HR tech for a company and implement and see it through to the end. Yeah, and quite literally, uh, I find very strongly, as much as we're in the cloud, IT is still needed. And if there's people in the audience, they're probably clapping now. Um, (laughs) IT will always be needed because they are the custodians of the architecture. Even though if it's out in the cloud, the ability to to combine information, utilize it for analysis and so on, usually falls to the laps of IT. So if you're going to go select a system, I really do insist on IT being included. I bring the financial people to the table because they are going to look at the overall cost of the maintenance. Um, as much as I can bring the, the C-suite to the table as well for the business generation of the requirements and then the subsequent HR, it's an important thing that there's a lot of inclusion across the organization. Payroll and HR are, are systems that really touch everybody. I mean everybody. Um, and so as an enterprise-wide system, you have to have something that I would call um, adoption. Uh, and the more people you can include to take a look at the, the systems you're considering, usually the adoption goes up much much easier. So, Absolutely. yeah, you, you run the range of, of everything from, you know, sorrow because we have to part with an, an old system to grief when they see the price tag. <laughs> and, and, and if you'll glee and joy at the end of the implementation that can start breathing again so it is a range of emotions out there i love it i've never actually seen glee involved in an hr software process but i'm glad you have so that that's the first to me i have that is great there's always a party at the end (laughs) that's good on the flip side i was actually reading the other day and maybe it's old news but i saw that hertz the rental company was suing accenture for something like 32 million for a website that had been implemented and went horribly wrong so i love the fact that you're trying to make things work and make sure that they fit well i can't comment on that one per se and there's probably lots of pieces that are are not necessarily in in the news story here but i've seen some failed implementation where everybody's pointing to everyone else but really when you look at it it's a matter of really understanding what are you trying to accomplish what are your objectives and as much as like I say I always try to try it to go as high as I can in the organization to find out what the business is doing before we go to the HR side yeah. I've seen systems selected because we need more efficiency in the in the, in the HR department I think that's probably the, the wor- worst premise to start with I think you need to understand what it is you're trying to accomplish in terms of that. And that's why I call, I, I actually call the, the, the HR systems workforce information assets. That's really what you're doing. You're building an, an asset that the organization is going to use in conjunction with financial and other pieces to run the business. And so that's, that's really what you're building, building yeah. for. Yeah, right. 
Okay. Now, can I draw on some of your knowledge in the fact that you know the HR tech industry just so well? What advice do you have for HR tech companies that want to grow faster? Well, that's a great question. And I actually do work with a lot of startups, part of the secondary business, if you will, that keeps me very much informed of what technology is out there and who's doing what, is working with a lot of startup companies. And so the first and foremost, well, <laughs> again, tongue in cheek, first thing is, Think about why you're calling this product the name that you're picking. Not to insult anyone, and I apologize if somebody takes umbrage by what I'm about to say, but I've seen the names of certain companies that doesn't even begin to tell you what that product does. And, you know, I, I look at things like Hi Bob, that's an <laughs> ATM system. I'm thinking, okay, that's a great name, I guess. <laughs> What does iBob do? We have no idea. So there's there's things like that. So I, I, I say that as kind of the first place. Please please name name the company along something that makes sense that people can pronounce and really get to understand what the product does. Secondly, in this day and age, because of the cloud, the ability to truly be a system agnostic agnostic product to me is is very key. The ability to, if you will, interact or interface or integrate with other well-established systems like an Oracle or an SAP or Workday yeah. is very key. And I, I, I see a couple of startups really kind of talking about a very proprietary database, a very proprietary structure that's not going to be conducive as time goes on because you don't want to align yourself with just one system. There are so many varieties of HR systems out there today in place, and many people don't want to disturb that but they do want to add the new functionality. So this being system agnostic is an extremely key thing. And then the last thing, and, and I, I, I really do think that a lot of startups are kind of recognizing this real quickly, and many of the established vendors are starting to, I think, move in that direction. Mm. And that is, as a new player with new technology, aligning yourself or partnering with another well-established system where your product is not in competition with what they do, but actually augments what their system does for their clients. You can use their channel as a way of introducing yourself to lots of clients very quickly. And good partnerships between two vendors are everybody wins. If I'm selling vendor A because I'm an HR guy and here's a new partner that's come in and I have to help sell them into the client base, that's a problem. But if I'm getting incent to do that or getting a, a cut of that, if you will, then I'm going to certainly be add, adding this other module in there and telling my clients about it. So Definitely. partnerships have got to be extremely mutually beneficial. There's no doubt. Definitely. But those are, the, those are the three things I would say, you know, naming the company and you know, being system agnostic and then channeling as a channel partner is probably the three fastest ways. Yeah, very smart. And if you're listening to this, I would go and hit rewind until we get to the start of that section and then absolutely focusing as well on the partnerships aspect because I see time and time again businesses that are partnering up, whether it's a paid partnership or co-promotion, you know, webinars and all sorts of things, but certainly businesses that combine their tech, they scale so much faster. Absolutely. So just a very quick point for yeah. that, that purpose. So as, as I see the startups looking to partner with certain partnerships, if you will, or vendors, I see people like Ultimate, Paylocity, ADP. They all have created a kind of a marketplace of partners. Yeah, yeah. And to me, the, the, I call it the, the vendor ecosystem. In other yeah. words, and quite often when we're evaluating a fairly large ACM 
vendor, let's say a Workday or an Ultimate or whatever, we look at who are their partners, how do they work with them, what do they ask of their partners, and is it really a continuing augmentation? The partners have got to look at the roadmap of the, the partnering company that you're looking to because you may find yourself in competition with them if the roadmap is they're going to develop a module very much like what you do today. And so you have a very short-lived partnership. As soon as they line set, they're going to want to sell their version, not yours. Yeah. And so those, so as I see a couple of partnerships, and I will say it from a client standpoint, and I, I really make sure my clients understand, partnerships can be broken easily. And so you may have bought, and bought a, a module from somebody as part of the partnership, and you suddenly find that they're no longer a partner. Nobody's maintaining the integrations. Nobody's making sure that both sides of that equation work. And you are now left with a, that module. You have to be responsible and, and make sure that your contracts with both vendors cover the need that there should the partnership break between the two vendors. You're not the one holding the bag, so to speak. So it's a pretty important decision, and that's why we, we look at the vendor partnership and the ecosystems that are being put together and how have the partners been treated and how well are they doing. How can you actually find that out? How can you conduct that due diligence? Well, I mean, certainly on their websites, they have their partner ecosystem usually laid out in some fashion. So let's, for example, we're looking for a recognition system and the vendor that, that we're selecting or that we're working with doesn't have that. We'll go out to the partner world and see if they have somebody that fulfills that. But sometimes they'll have two or three different partners because they recognize that your culture and your way of doing things may not be exactly the way one of the vendors are. So they have a couple of opportunities. Yeah. We would talk to every one of those vendors. We would ask them a couple of questions, not only what their product does, but we would ask, how have you been successful? How many new clients have you received as a result of the partnership? Sometimes, and you know, they'll be honest with you, sometimes you ask them the question, how how are you guys getting along? <laughs> you know, <laughs> are, are your roadmaps, are you really developing in a coexistence framework or are you just both of you doing your own roadmaps and you suddenly find that you're out of sync? Who's maintaining? Uh, we're in the process right now of an evaluation around recruiting and, and everybody says we have APIs that can do this and this. That's great. So if I use your API and something doesn't work with one of your partners, who takes the responsibility for that? And I think that's a pretty key question. If both of them raise their hands and they say, we will work to resolve the problem together, that's huge. To me, that shows a very solid partnership that says, we take the ownership of the client and their problems and their needs together. And that's a real partnership. So I, like I said, there's, there's ways to do it. I, I, I don't want to sell the secret sauce per se, but yeah, we, mm. we do a lot of interviewing of the partners as well. Mm. That's very interesting going to move on but to your other sure. point there you listed out three different points but surely when the company is trying to name their business they would be smart to include ai and maybe blockchain in there somewhere absolutely and yeah. and i'm seeing an awful lot of folks you know i'm very familiar with bunch ai and, and zor ai and a couple oh. of so so now we're getting a lot of what used to be the dot com is now dot ai right dot IO or something like that. And you know, the domain names are changing like crazy, so I yeah. can barely keep up with them. But <laughs> I think it's important, again, like I say, if you want to be clever about the naming, 
then make sure that in the naming you have a marketable tagline that says blah, 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 blah. Right. In other words, helping people you know, be more engaged or whatever sure. the case is. That at least helps people understand. Because you know, I'm, I'm going to HR Tech in another month, and I looked at 300 and some odd vendors, and I'm going, some of these people I wouldn't even know if I wanted to go see them for anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe it's a concession, concession stand. I mean, literally. I mean, and, and you and I had that conversation very quickly, but just to say in this podcast that the boundaries of what we called HR technology are boundless these days. Yeah. Everything from a vending machine that's putting out organic, good, nutritious food is considered <laughs> HR technology. <laughs> and and so it's just, it, I, I'm, I'm excited about that because to, to me, it means that we are addressing the people problems in organization. And so therefore, that's important and it's the most heavily invested sector, period. Wow. And so I, you know, it's a good place to be is the way I put it. That's good. Yeah, as you say, good place to be. So that kind of leads me into my next question is, what changes and opportunities do you see now and into the future for HR tech? Yeah, so I'm going to say something that will probably be out of date before this goes on the air <laughs> <laughs> because the changes are coming so rapidly. But to me, the world of learning, as we used to know it, learning management, has now morphed into more of a content management perspective. Mm. And what's accompanying that is the delivery of knowledge or training or however you want to call it through lots of different means you know delivering on my mobile was great i can see youtube i I repaired my dishwasher watching a a youtube video but (laughs) things like virtual reality augmented reality and mixed reality three terms that are they're kind of bandied around they are very different things but they are all kind of a, a kind of a i would call it a an augmented reality of something in those those media you can present so many different opportunities you can it's probably more appealing it's much more interesting you can show them things that you couldn't do in a classroom yeah. um it, it just to me so to me the the whole virtual reality world and and all the flavors of that are going to be a huge huge boon in how people are getting uh trained and and uh, accepting knowledge. Um, My perspective on that is that, and I say this in presentations, failure is an option. In fact, failure is probably the best teacher when we look at it. And I'm sure I would, either one of us would say some of our failures in life are the best lessons we've ever learned. So if you watch a child playing a video game, you you will see them go right and something happens. It didn't work. I go left, didn't work. What's I'm, what am I going to do next? Well, I'm going to learn to go straight. And if that happens, I learn that either one of those directions had consequences. This is a better one. Mm-hmm. So this idea of feeling uh, augmented reality and virtual reality allow you to do that. Um, I've had uh, a couple of interesting perspectives of that that, that came about. Um, I happened to be watching a news program, and somebody was talking about helping stroke victims using virtual reality. Really? By simply donning a set of glasses and reaching out in front of them to disassemble a box. Now, it sounds very simplistic, but for a stroke victim personally to relearn muscle movement, neural patterns, and so on, to do something as simple as disassemble a box over and over, they're testing that and finding that the recovery period of a stroke victim is going faster 
because they are doing things that they don't need a therapist to help them do it. They're doing wow. it themselves. Wow. They do it all day long. And so you can imagine you're, you're kind of learning and doing things in this virtuality that you don't need supervision. You don't need anything else. Um, I don't even have to leave home which is, in some cases, for stroke victim, is an extremely important. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I look at that virtual reality as being a real game changer for, for lots of things. The other thing is the wellness programs, and I say this with, a, again, a little bit of tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> the wellness programs have and can be extremely important if you looked at the individual data that I might give in participating in a wellness program. I have a Fitbit on. I'm, I have a, a shirt that's measuring my respiration and heartbeat. It knows exactly how far I've walked. All those things on an individual database are very important to know about me personally. The issue surrounds itself around privacy. Yeah. And HR has got to help to get around that privacy issue. The data is meaningless if I don't know who it is that's giving that data because it then knows I am an older person, a male. Here's the baseline of what I should be. Am I doing better? Am I doing worse? And so on. All those things, along with artificial intelligence and everything else that we have out there, could actually help me, my doctor, and maybe even my employer, set me up for programs that really would make a difference in my productivity and health. But if it doesn't know who I am because I have to mask the privacy of, of who I am in the data, it's meaningless. Yeah. It can look at it in aggregate, but it doesn't help if I'm looking at a population of a thousand people and everybody looks pretty good and half of them look good and half of them look bad. <laughs> which one? Which ones are the good ones? Which ones are the bad ones? <laughs> so, so literally, I think you know. To me, the biggest issue that HR has these days, and probably it's one of of transparency, is I'm going to collect data on you. You're going to understand that, and I'm going to do good with it and it won't be anywhere else except where I can do something good with it for you, the person. And that's, that's I mean, every time you read about a Facebook hack or, a, you know, anything that's going on, you know, all these databases being hacked in, mm-hmm. all of that privacy stuff is really a problem. But all that data, it, it's important. It's important to know about it, is to know to understand what it represents. Yeah. And so that's, that's the biggest challenge for HR, I think, around technology is, how do we ensure the privacy where we can collect the detail, the data at the most detailed level and still protect a person's privacy? So that's a toughy one. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think the wellness programs, I, you can imagine if all the research that's being done in clinical sense could be done on everybody in the wellness programs because they know about me, my medical records, and what I'm doing about it. If I see significant improvements in, the, in let's say, a nutritional program or walking program or whatever that lends itself to, let's say, stopping diabetes, and that's being borne out by thousands of people like me. It, I mean, that's research that, that is absolutely invaluable. It actually is socially helping us as a, as a, as a group of people, if you will, a population. It's actually life-saving, yeah. To, yeah, exactly. It becomes life-saving. If you compare that against claims data, about other people who've had catastrophic diseases and the health records of them before, and then you compare that with the people that are doing these things and how they are improving, maybe we could actually start eliminating some significant catastrophic diseases and conditions early. And you you got to look at it this way. I, I know I do. 
we have whole generations of kids coming right behind us. How much more powerful could we be in giving them the information about what happens if you're not eating well, if you're not exercising, if you're not de-stressing on all the things that we're seeing that are causing huge catastrophic illnesses in you our mean, population. You mentioned so, children before playing yeah. games and you know going left yes. or right or going straight ahead. And can, you could probably use virtual reality to teach kids about healthy eating, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, there, there was at one point in time actually a... Um, a program in Second Life where children were being given a plate and asked to walk through a cafeteria. And they would put food on that plate in virtual reality. Their avatar would walk around and you would see what they're doing. And their plate above it had like a calorie count and, a, and a, if you will, a kind of a value of, you know, how nutritious is this meal you're having? So what they was trying to teach was not what to eat, but it was trying to teach this balance between, you know, if I want a piece of pie, maybe I ought to give up the French fries over here. Uh, it's it's that idea of the, the 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 how much you're eating, what you're eating, and when you're eating. Yeah. You know, they say sometimes you need to eat several times a day, but smaller portions. Don't eat late at night. You know, don't make the dinner your big meal. And all. all those things. Those would be. They're they're really. If you stop and think about it, virtual reality could start teaching people to change their behavior and that's really the key to what wellness is all about right now sure changing people's behavior and i think it'd be a phenomenal deal like i say we're in, we should be investing in our in our our uh, generations behind us because they're going to be taking care of us one yeah. day. <laughs> we're going to want the one outside feel good about it yeah, yeah that's right <laughs> i mean we messed up the, the environment for them so we've got to do something else <laughs> Um, exactly. You, you mentioned Second Life. Firstly, could I ask you just to explain to everyone what that is? Because I oh, absolutely. I, I, my apologies. That actually was an experiment that was, and I think it's almost fifteen plus years ago here in San Francisco, where I live. It was it was done as a social experiment. They created a virtual reality with avatars in it. So I would sign in, I would have an avatar. I could make it look like, I could even make it look like myself. The funny thing is that people that met me in Second Life said, why does your avatar have gray hair? I said, because I, my, in my real life, I have gray hair. Well, yeah, but you could change that. You could be younger. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> this hunk walking around but, here. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But it was an interesting um, environment to be in it it had a set of rules you, it it was truly a programmer's environment you could create all kinds of things they had literally objects that could uh, cars and airplanes and rocket ships and all kinds of strange things and, and, and you were able to do anything in there and so i experimented in there with a company and creating a scenario for security guards uh, to learn the protocol around how to guard an armored car when you get in front of a bank. Now, there's a process, and the company I was working with had that ability to give me the process in written form. I redesigned that and said, avatars could do this, this, and, and they, they move, they talk, they, they interact, and, and so on. You could, you know, teach people the protocol around you know, here's a here's a van that or an armored car that pulls in front of the bank right at the front door, or there's a side entrance, and here's a different situation in an alley, or in a two-story versus a one-story. All those protocols were there to ensure the safety of the personnel and the money, 
And you could, and and again, here's that failure as an option. Mm -hmm. I could stage a bank robbery or a heist of an armored car with other players, other avatars coming in, and if you will, breaking the rules. So it's to me that virtual reality really all opened up some tremendous opportunities to build, execute, and redesign people's thinking about how to do things. It's an unfortunate thing that that particular environment started out in, as a client-server type of thing. It did not port well to the, the web. And so therefore, it couldn't go on on mobile, couldn't uh -huh. be done on and lots of things. It, it still exists. It's just not the most conducive. And nobody has really gone out of their way to build something like that, gotcha. which is very unfortunate. But nonetheless, it, it was an interesting uh, interesting place to be. Yeah. <laughs> and last question around the VR, because I don't talk about this much, so I don't get to ask people about it. So virtual reality, I mean, it makes such sense for employee training and learning development. Is it on the rise or is it on the decline? What, whereabouts is it? Oh, it's, it is truly on the rise. So like on I the say, the, the three environments that, that I'm very familiar with, virtual reality, which is very this, this truly, I'm donning a headset, maybe I have a set of gloves in my hands that are interacting with something. I'm in a, a virtual world. In my real world, it's not necessarily interacting at all with the work, virtual world. So everything is being done to me through sight, sound, and maybe some sense of touch. Augmented reality is really taking what I'm looking at and maybe the best example I've seen of augmented reality is I'm looking at a, at a plant or machinery, you know, and it's broken. And, I, and I'm trying to understand without taking the machine apart, where would the parts be? Augmented reality would maybe superimpose the schematics of that machinery, all the parts in front of me with a headset on that I'm looking at the machine, I'm looking at the parts at all. Oh, if I lift this door, this part here is probably the piece that's broken. I can get it. I don't have to disassemble the whole yeah. thing. I can see it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's really kind of an interesting. And then the mixed reality is just a combination of virtual and, and that augmented. And some people will, that's probably the newest and probably the hardest one to find the uses. But you stop and think about it. In fact, I experimented a little bit with that in, in Second Life. Walk around an office and tell me what are the 10 things you think represent sexual harassment. Hmm. Well, let's see, I walk by and here's a cubicle and there's a poster on the wall that looks very suggestive. That's one. And I can be graded on it. So, uh, like I say, I, to me, there's just a tremendous set of, uh, we have barely scratched the surface of what we can do. If you look at what the military does with virtual reality to train pilots and, and other hmm. parts of the armed forces, that's been around forever. Yeah. But it's been a, an expensive process. The, the virtual reality as we see it today is coming down in price and available through lots of different media. Yeah, yeah. And to me, that's, that's, that's the key to it. It's got to be affordable for everybody, but yeah. it's getting there. It's really I getting was, there. I, I was just thinking the same thing. It's around price. And so just on the weekend, I was at a sports match talking to a guy. He's a pilot. And I said, oh, I just watched that Sully movie, the Tom Hanks movie, where they land oh, the plane yeah. on the Hudson. And he said, yeah, as soon as that happened, we were all put into flight simulators and had to run through the flight details and same takeoff time and, and all sorts of things. And apparently the only way to land was to go onto the river. So Sally was right. But the cost of a flight simulator is, is very expensive. But as, exactly. as you say, the gloves, the headsets, they're becoming, they're just part of the game machines that people get these oh, days. Yeah. So the, exactly. the cost is coming right down. Well, I, I, certainly popularity is going to help 
people yeah. say, you know, if I charge you a hundred dollars for this, I can only sell ten. But if I turn it down to fifty bucks, I can sell ten thousand. Which is the better way to go? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> it's always about the money. <laughs> <laughs> Show me the money. Speaking of which. Yeah. Can I ask you do, you, do you have any interesting people or websites or tools, podcasts, whatever, that HR businesses can check out to grow faster and bring in that money? You know, I, I certainly, in my, in my industry, and, and I've, I've been, had the f good fortune of actually growing up with some of these people or working with them or, or at least knowing them, I have to say um, Josh Burson is a well-known name in, yeah. in our industry, no doubt. But I had the pleasure of both knowing him for a number of years, and what he has done recently is he's created a um, what he calls the the the, the Burson HR Academy. Academy, Academy, yeah, right. And and I think he his perspective, and I had the chance to I saw him speak uh, about oh, back in April, and uh, he his presentation was talking about the need for the new sets of skills that that. As much as technology continues to in, invade our world, and in some cases, quite literally replacing people, I understand that there's just no way around it, mm. that it actually is now also causing us to rethink the kinds of skills we have to bring to the job. Yep. And so the technology skills, the abstract reasoning the situation, you know, basically looking at disparate situations and finding commonality or some way to, to bring it all together, call it design thinking or solutioning or whatever you want to call it but his point was and I think it's quite in the hands of HR to understand this the new skills are not being taught anymore when you really get down to it people coming out of school they don't have that that training behind them yeah. uh, we're not teaching it on in, in the workplace and yet the the things we're doing today and the tools we are using are demanding that you look at how analytics has changed from really just trying to design some metrics and, and following that to deep dives into pools of data. Lake, they call them data lakes now. Wow. Uh, literally information that in, you know, client information, financial information, market information, people information, all those things brought together to, to be analyzed and find some patterns or insights on the how it, how we ought to be running the business or a new product should be designed or the way in which we we, we create our culture even. So the, the kind of skills that's being asked in the future are not the things we're training for today. And that's really Josh's point and really what his academy is doing. If you're also familiar with Jason Averbook, very nice gentleman, I've known him for years and years and years, um, his, his company, LeapGen, is all about why are we doing things with archaic systems when we are doing everything else in our personal life on a phone? Easy, intuitive, understandable. Why is it our HR systems don't seem to reflect that? That, personally, is <laughs> that, that's where the vendors need to go, is go talk to Jason as well. What's his uh, last name, right? Uh, Averbook, A-V-R-B-O-O-K. Okay. Very nice gentleman, very, very articulate about what he has a passion around why are we, he, the way he says, if we're not asking the questions, why are we doing this, then we're not being smart. <laughs> it's <quite laughs> simple. And he's quite right about that. Absolutely. And, uh, and then, like I say, there's just, uh, there's a lot of little things, if you will. I, I'll give credit to one of my colleagues, uh, uh, Dr. Bobby Baggio. She inspired me to write an article with her about 
um, artificial intelligence and the agile workplace. Um, I have to say proudly, it's the first and only research paper, paper I've ever done, but it was voted best in conference. Wow. That was presented back in, in March uh, at the informatics conference, conference. And we've been asked to do presentations next year. But the idea of her paper is right on the money where she talks about, and you know, co-authoring, I'll say, we talked about, mm. the fact that AI is something that's going to replace the very redundant, repetitive types of things we do daily. If you stop and think about it, you, 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 you know, you've got apps on your phone that are helping you. You know, Amazon's a great example. People like you bought these things. Or you should go take a look at this because of these interests over here. Yeah. We have, I mean, it doesn't take a customer service or salesperson to do that for you. The apps are doing that for you. And so in our our work lives, we're finding there are so many repetitive types of things that are happening. Chatbots are coming out to the recruiting world and they're helping candidates to go through the process of applying for a job. Mm-hmm. Not the recruiter any longer. The recruiter is at the very end of this process now. Um, so... Our, our premise is that the workplace is going to change tremendously as a result of, of things like AI and blockchain and so on, that new skills will be needed to elevate us as a human race to the next level of helping. In other words, to that point, um, if, if, if I'm not asking the, the question, why am I doing this anymore? I should be asking that question, why am I doing this? Because there may be a, be a machine or piece of software that can do this for me, and I can go find something else. But again, we need to train the people with the new skills as well. That's why I say we're watching this evolution happening, and it's all, you know, pieces of the machinery that would move, move us up the scale, if you will, in evolution. We're just not there yet, but we uh-huh. will. But technology, in my mind, is going to force us to start looking at things very differently. Absolutely. And on a side note, you actually just reminded me of a of an employee who got fired because it turned out he wasn't doing his job. And in fact, he had five jobs at once. He was a full-time employee and he was outsourcing his work to a Chinese virtual assistance company. And the only reason he got found is because the IT people went, hang on, I think we're being hacked by China. So he got caught by the IT department. But I suspect you're going to have people getting AI tools to do their work soon too, right? Well, so I'm going to ask the obvious question. This is why I, <laughs> this is probably why I say I scare people because of my technology. I would have promoted that guy. Why I not? I know, him. I know. I'm with you. The innovation of that person yeah. who is leading a charge of, of outsourcing away the, the run redundant, repetitive, and, and I won't call meaningless because they have to be done. Yes. If, they're, if they're truly meaningless, then why are we doing them? Yeah. But they are de- being done for a purpose. I would promote that guy as being either assistant to the CT, CIO or maybe <laughs> CEO. I'm not sure because that's innovation to me. And that's really what I think what, you know, both I would say to Josh and Jason, myself, any of the people in HR like myself that are asking the question, why are we doing what we're doing today? Mm. We have so much technology and new things are happening. Um, I'm working with a company here in San Francisco that is building an oncology an oncology database, hmm. and they're hiring clinicians to help to understand how do we organize all the research data so that every doctor in the world could connect around this database and hmm. find procedures, cures, successes, and failures to cure cancer. 
when you when you look at something of that nature that is truly an inspiring type of you know to me that's this this company will go far just because their culture and so on is saying this is what we do mm-hmm. we are here to help cure cancer and so you know and so they're building databases to take away the research that was saying well let me go uh, let me hire a bunch of research assistants to go through all these research papers on, on some college or university website or you know uh, Genentech's website or whatever and and start collating that so I can look at it no let me go to one place and share whatever I find with everybody else that's yeah. why I say to me the technology is gonna if you will hopefully open up some brand new doors we will start crowdsourcing with very intelligent people global problems and we will work, we'll, we'll solve them I mean I'm an optimist it's hard if you haven't figured that conversation <laughs> you missed it so but yeah I, I am a big strong proponent of the technology it has its downside there's no doubt but I think it has a bigger upside we just Absolutely. need to use it better <laughs> Absolutely. well on that inspiring note my final question is if people want to learn more about you or your business what should they do next well, um, I'm certainly always available for speaking engagements. <laughs> Give me a microphone and we're done. Um, I would ask them to go out to my website, the www.collectivehrsolutions.com. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's some. I've got uh, tabs around emerging technologies and, and trending technologies. I review vendors all the time. I record their things. So I have a library of vendor solutions that I put out there for people to just read through, understand. If they want to binge watch like a Netflix or something, all those videos, I can certainly offer them a package. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I I think if, you know, knowing about me, the real key is I'm a technologist at heart. I have a very strong feeling about technology. I try to keep up on it and um, here to answer any all questions. If I don't know the answer, I guarantee you I will go find it. Absolutely. You have a Twitter handle. What is that? It's HR Techspert. I love HR, that. Yeah, T-E-C-H-X-P-R-T. <laughs> Brilliant. And you've I, seen my Jedi, so we'll leave that alone. <laughs> for those that, that, yeah, you'll, you'll see the, the Jedi cropping up in some odd places. So. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to put that in the show notes for sure. And, and sorry, last thing is, you mentioned the word solutioning. Is that now a word? Well, you know, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'm not quite sure what we want to call it. Every day we come up with new terms, and many people make their whole career around a, a new term that, yeah. that takes off. I kiddingly say to to a lot of the HR tech companies where they're growing, find a term that kind of encapsulates or a phrase that encapsulates what you do and make it clever enough and, and unique enough that if you start hearing it being used elsewhere, you will have made it. And my, my perspective is nobody understood what Google was when they started. Yeah. Now people are saying, let's go Google that. They don't yeah. say, look it up. And they sure don't say AOL it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, find, find something that's very unique in term. But, yeah, solutioning, um, I'll toss out the word reskilling. People are using that all over the time. Yeah, There's, that's true. Retraining kind of dressed up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll cut you some slack. Um, (laughs) No, I've had a great time and I've learned a lot. So I thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Well, Ben, thank you very much for the opportunity. I've just 
getting on my soapbox and speaking to you. <laughs> so I appreciate it very, very much. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.